Amen. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 1. This morning we're continuing our sermon series entitled, An Impossible Christmas, How the Impossible Became Possible. In Luke one thirty-seven, the angel of the Lord declares these words to Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. Say with me, nothing is impossible with God. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at an impossible plant. Then we looked at an impossible messenger. Last week we looked at Mary and looked at an impossible conception. And now this morning we're going to look at an impossible response. We're going to look at one of my heroes of the faith, Joseph. Most of us in this room have very high expectations this time of year, don't we? Man, we want our trees to look perfect. We want our lights to twinkle just right. We want our gifts under the tree to look like Martha Stewart was the one that wrapped them. We want our lives to be like the song we sing. It's the most wonderful time of the year. That's what we want, man. That's what we hope for. But for some, Christmas can be the loneliest time of year. We certainly want it to be wonderful. We want it to be a time of peace, joy, and harmony. But sometimes we get the opposite when our lives are interrupted by some unforeseen situation or crisis. Leading up to that first Christmas, there were a handful of people's lives and ultimately the course of human history that was forever interrupted. When you think about Mary and Joseph, it appears that Mary has had an affair. It it appears Joseph is shamed because his future bride got pregnant out of wedlock. These two people are potentially on their way to divorce court, aren't they? What the world witnessed was blasphemous. But what Joseph and Mary experienced was the very presence of God in the assurance that he was absolutely in control of everything as it was unfolding before their very eyes. Read with me this morning from Matthew chapter 1. Beginning in verse 18, we read, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with the child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Notice our message point this morning. It is this, Joseph's response, I mean, um, our message point, Joseph, a humble man set apart for a heavenly mission. Notice our first point, Joseph's response to Mary's announcement. What do we know about Joseph? Okay, think about all of your, your, the sermons that you've heard, all of the scriptures that you have read. Now think to yourself, what are the things that we know about Joseph? We, we honestly, we don't know much, do we? There are only a handful of verses in Scripture that even make reference to Joseph. 
We know that he was a carpenter by trade. We know that he would be the stepfather of Jesus. We know without a doubt that he loved and respected Mary. He was a man of faith who sought to do the will of God. And we know he obeyed the law. He led his wife to Bethlehem to be a part of the census. That's why Jesus was born there, obviously, to fulfill Scripture. He would have Jesus circumcised on the eighth day. And he led his family from Nazareth to Jerusalem um, a number of times to be a part of the Passover celebration. He was a good man, a godly man. But did you, do you realize that there is not a single word in Scripture recorded of him ever saying anything? I mean, think about that. The, 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 the man responsible for raising the king of the universe, Scripture does not record one single thing that he said. You talk about a behind-the-scenes kind of man. That was Joseph. But think about him for a moment. It is one thing to have had the angel Gabriel appear on the front end of a supernatural conception like Mary and Zachariah and Elizabeth did, but, but Joseph, he did not have that privilege, did he? In fact, in verses 18 and 19 of the verses that we read this morning, the angel of the Lord did not appear to Joseph until after Joseph had already found out that Mary was with child. How did he come to find out that she was pregnant? Scripture doesn't tell us, but it could very well be that Mary told him. It may have been the town's gossip that ran up to Joseph and said, Hey, Joseph, did you know Mary, the woman that you were engaged to be married to, is pregnant? We're not told. But if you were in his situation, how would you have responded? Would you have stayed with Mary? According to Jewish tradition, there were three stages to a marriage. There was The first stage would be kind of the, the contractual agreement. This is when a marriage would be arranged between the parents. Then after that, there was the betrothal period or the engagement period. This usually lasted for a year. Mary or the, the lady would live with, 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 with her parents. The, the two would not come together to become one until after the wedding. During this period of time, the people were legally bound to one another. The only way that, that the, the, the marriage could be um, broken up would either by, be by divorce or by death. And then there was the marriage ceremony itself. Scripture is clear that the stage that Joseph and Mary were in was the betrothal period. It was during that period that Joseph would find out that Mary was pregnant. We are, what we are told next speaks to the kind of man that Joseph was. We are told, first of all, of his character. In verse 19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So we see here that Joseph was a just man. Translated, he was a devout man that obeyed the word of God and the laws of God. He obeyed the law, which means he knew his rights as a, a man. He knew his rights as a man that was betrothed to Mary. Um, he had every right to divorce her. He could have publicly shamed her and made a spectacle out of her. He could have even taken Mary to the elders of the city and had her stoned to death. But that's not what Joseph did. He resolved to divorce her quietly. He loved Mary way too much um, than to make a spectacle out of her. The angel of the Lord appears to Joseph, though, in a dream. And we are told that Joseph considered these things. We are told of his reaction, that he considered 
these things. The word consider carries with it great weightiness. Joseph, what he is doing is he's trying to weigh his options. He knows what the law gives him permission to do, but he also knows of the ramifications against Mary if he were to exercise his rights. Have you ever found yourself having to make a difficult decision? You know, some of the decisions that, that we make throughout our lifetime are very weighty, aren't they? They, they tend not only to affect us, but they tend to affect those that we are closest to. Many of you, um, at some stage in your life, had to uproot your family and move to a new city. As you have gotten older, and I've talked to many of you, you uprooted yourselves, left your friends behind in order to be closer to your kids and your grandkids. Some decisions that we make are weighty when it comes to our finances. Remember when you were younger, how easy it was? Man, you just had to make college choices, career choices. You had to make a decision of who to date and who to marry. You remember how easy those days were? You know, one of the hardest decisions I've ever, I ever had to make, you know, in my almost 50 years of life was, was um, when I had to make the decision of whether or not to stay at my last church or not. That was one of the hardest decisions that I had to make because I didn't know the outcome. I didn't know how the story was going to end up. I didn't know that I was going to come here to be your pastor. I didn't know if I was going to go and take another pastor. I didn't know if I was going to become an insurance salesman. I had no idea what the Lord had in store for us. So it was a weighty decision because I didn't know if we were going to have to move as a family or what the Lord was leading us to do. But when we think about Joseph, man, we know that he was a troubled man. He was troubled in his heart, in his mind, and in his soul. And as he considered these things, notice what happens. The angel of the Lord provides assurance to him. In verses 20 and 21, again, we read, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Here's what we can be certain of. When Joseph confronted Mary about her pregnancy, he clearly did not believe her. I'm sure he wanted to believe her with every ounce of his being, but a virgin pregnancy, that was an impossibility. You and I know the rest of the story. We know how everything ends, but Joseph didn't. He had no clue what was next. So for him to have gone to bed a bit restless that night, I think all of us can understand and relate. That night as he laid his head down, he was probably both resolved in his decision and broken in his heart. He closes his eyes, and as he, and as he does, he has a supernatural encounter with the angel of the Lord. He is the fifth person in our Christmas story so far to have an encounter with the Lord. And, 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 and you know, we overlook this sometimes, but remember, it had been 400 years since anybody had had an encounter with the Lord. 400 years, there was no prophet, there was no divine revelation given to man, there was no angelic encounters. God did not come down and, and dwell with man in a, in, in, in a flaming bush. None of that. Utter silence. 
That was until Zechariah went into the temple. And he was the first after 400 years to have a supernatural encounter. And then after Zechariah, we know Mary would be told by the angel Gabriel that absolutely nothing would be impossible for God, even a virgin conception. And then there was John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel would tell Zechariah that his son, John, would be filled with the Holy Spirit of God from his mother womb. In Luke 1, 14 through 17, we read, And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Even before John the Baptist burst into human history, the presence of the Lord was already dwelling with him. And then, then there was Elizabeth. And we looked at Elizabeth a couple weeks ago, but in Luke 1, 39 through 45, we read these words. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to the town of Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greetings of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the fifth person to have a supernatural encounter with the Lord was Joseph. Joseph would not be the last, though. We know also the shepherds would have an encounter. We know the wise men would have an encounter. We know that when Jesus entered into the temple um, to be circumcised on the eighth day, Simeon would have an encounter. The prophetess, prophetess Anna would have an encounter as well. Confirmation after confirmation was given to each of the faithful that the child born was the Son of God that God had come and dwelt among us. He was 100% God and 100% man. And we are told that the angel of the Lord shows up in Joseph's dream, and the angel gives Joseph five assurance. The first one is this. It was told, um, it was, uh, Joseph was told that it was God's will for him to marry Mary. The first thing the angel did is he gives Joseph the assurance needed for him to take Mary as his bride. Now, with this assurance would come the reality of people's perception. How many of you in this room care what other people think about you? Raise your hand. Probably to an extent, all of us care about what people think about us. Maybe, maybe some of you may not, but, but, but there's that perception that we kind of care a little bit about. But think about Joseph, man. When Joseph agreed to take Mary as his wife, no one would believe him or Mary. You know they were ostracized. They were ridiculed. They were the laughing stock of the community. Their own family probably didn't even believe them. You know what? When we're doing the will of God, it's okay to be laughed at. It's okay to be ridiculed. It's okay to experience a little persecution for the sake of the Lord, isn't it? Next, um, Joseph was told that Mary's pregnancy was supernatural. And this would be um, divine revelation and, and scripture prophecy becoming um, true. In Isaiah seven fourteen, we read, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and sh you shall call his name Emmanuel. Mary had not been unfaithful. Joseph was assured that night that the pregnancy was the result of the Holy Spirit, not the result of Mary being unfaithful. The third promise was she will bear a son, proving prophecy again was being fulfilled. The fourth promise, his name will be given, his name will be Jesus. Names are important. 
Man, when you think back to the names that you gave your kids, you gave them a name that probably bared some sort of significance, okay? Named your kid after a parent or a grandparent or a family member, or you named them after um, someone who had a name that you really liked. It, there was some significance. You didn't just draw a name out of a hat and say, I'm going to call my kid this, right? But when you think about um, certain cultures, even today, names are, are even more significant than they are here in the States. When a Hebrew is given a name, that name has biblical significance. For Jesus, one writer wrote this, Jesus, a good Hebrew name, very similar to the Old Testament name Joshua. The Hebrews loved to give names with meaning, and the meaning usually involved some wordplay on the name. Jesus means to save. His name comes from the Hebrew verb yasha. Names like Hosea, Isaiah, and Joshua are all based on this verb. The name Jesus, like the name Joshua, would mean the Lord saves, or shorten, he saves. This is why the significance of the name of Jesus is explained in this passage of Scripture. For he shall save his people from their sins. The Jews knew that a Savior would come. Old Testament prophecy made that abundantly clear. Now the angel is telling Joseph that the Old Testament prophecy is coming true. And Mary will be the mother of the Messiah. And subsequently, he is telling Joseph that he would be the man responsible for raising the God of the universe who's come to take on flesh and dwell amongst us. Now we know this, only one person can save us from our sins, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that there is only one way to God the Father, and that is through God the Son. I was having a conversation with someone just the other day, and he was telling me he could no longer believe in a God that did not allow for one of his very good friends who was part of another religion, who he claimed was better than most of the Christians he knew to gain access to heaven. You know, I was clear to him that our opinions don't matter when it comes to our salvation or the salvation of others. Jesus made it clear that we come to him through faith and repentance and Jesus made it clear in John 14, 6, when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. Man, we, we may, if we were writing the story, may have written it just a little bit different. But there is only one story that matters. And that is a story of God coming and dwelling amongst us and dying for us and raising to life again. And he is who we are to place our faith and trust in. Jesus came and dwelt among us to make the pathway easier for us to gain access to heaven and to God the Father. For Joseph, he must have been overwhelmed with all that he had encountered. Think about the enormous weight that he had been given. Now, instead of him living in shame because of what Mary did, he will be living with the special revelation from God that no one will believe. Notice how Joseph responds. In verses 24 through 25, we see here that he responded by obeying. In verses, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given 
birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus. When Joseph awakes from his dream, he does as the Lord instructs him. He takes Mary as his wife. No more questions would be asked. Folks, when Jesus burst into human history and came and dwelt among us, he changed everything, didn't he? In the beginning, Adam and Eve dwelt with God in the garden. They sinned. And that sin not only affected them, but it, is, it affected every single other person in all of human history. It affected humanity as well as nature. And we know this, but sin is like a cancer. Every single person will be affected by it. But there is a cure for it. We are cured when we place our faith in Jesus, believing that he came and dwelt among us and believing that he died for us. We know how to come to faith in Jesus. I hope and pray everybody in this room are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are people outside the doors of this church that do not know Jesus. So what does it take for them to come to faith? It takes what it did for us. They have to admit that they are a sinner. They have to admit that their sin separates them from God. They also have to believe that Jesus died for their sins. And they also must confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And we're also told that they have to believe in the resurrection. That, that after Jesus died on the cross, he was placed in that borrowed tomb, but that tomb could not hold him because three days later he rose to life again, proving to all that he indeed is the Son of God, that he is God in the flesh. Folks, when you think about Mary and Joseph, you find two people that were just. They were righteous. They were highly favored. They were chosen. Most importantly, they obeyed the word of the Lord. Every single day, you and I are given direction from the Lord. We're instructed through the guidance of the Holy Spirit to go and do, as well as to go and be. What is it that the Lord is calling you to this morning? What is it that he is calling you to respond to? You know, as, as we um, close this morning, you know, there's a lot of, of, of Christmas songs that I, that I love. Um, but probably my favorite all-time Christmas song is a song by a group that, that most of you may not even know of called For Him. For Him used to sing a song called Such a Strange Way to Save the World. And I want to read to you these lyrics. I'm sure he must have been surprised at where the road had taken him. Because never in a million lives would he have dreamed of Bethlehem. And standing at the manger, he saw with his own eyes the message from the angel come to life. And Joseph said, why me? I'm just a simple man of trade. Why him with all the rulers in the world? Why here inside this stable filled with hay? Why her? She's just an ordinary girl. Now, I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say, but this is such a strange way to save the world. To think of how it could have been if Jesus had come as he deserved. There would have been no Bethlehem, no lowly shepherds at his birth. But Joseph knew the reason love had to reach so far. And as he held the Savior in his arms, he must have thought, why me? I'm just a simple man of trade. Why him with all the rulers in the world? 
Why here inside this stable filled with hay? Why her? She's just an ordinary girl. Now, I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say, but this is such a strange way to save the world. It may be strange to us, but you can be certain that it is the only way. Jesus is the only way. How many people do you know this Christmas season that need to hear that Jesus is the only way? Who do you know that needs to respond to Jesus this Christmas? It may be you or it may be somebody you know. But let's be obedient and go and tell and go and do. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to come. Father God, we come before you this morning just thanking you, Father, just for the promise of your word. The promise of knowing, Lord Jesus, that you are going to come again. And Father, we also know, Lord Jesus, that when you come, Father, you're going to take those who know you home. And Lord, we so long for that day. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that all of us will recognize that there's going to be family members and loved ones that are going to be left behind. Oh, Father, help us to understand the importance of the urgency of going to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to take the truth to this lost and dying world. Father, I pray that if there is someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation. Lord, move now during this time of invitation. First in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come.